Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. As you find your place, if you will, this morning I'll ask you to stand. We're going to read verses 21 through the end of the chapter, which is uh, verse number 31. The Bible says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by bondmaid, the other by free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is, the King James Version says, Agar, of course, being Hagar. Verse 25 says, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? This is, I think, the key aspect, the key thought of these verses. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the opportunity to be here in this service today. God, thank you for health and strength to be able to enjoy the day that you have uh, created that you've allowed us to be a part of. Uh, Lord, I pray that in this service this morning that you would be worshipped in a way that's pleasing to you, God. I pray that our worship would be sincere and, uh, Lord, from the depths of our inner being. Lord, help us not to just be going through the motions, Lord. Um, And I pray, Lord, as we study from the word of the Lord, God, you would give us a hunger for the truth. And, uh, God, I pray that you'd make your word become real in our hearts and in our lives. God, I, I pray that it just wouldn't be a time where... Your word goes in one ear and out the other, but Lord, help us, Lord, to receive the truth, and God, help us to walk forth from this service today, living it out, and uh, Lord, help us to be submissive to your will. God, help us to have the humility to understand that our ways are wrong, God, and our ways are often contrary to yours, and uh, Lord, your way is right and your way is correct. Lord, I pray that our li- your word would be like a mold that our lives are poured into, and God, if there's somebody here today that's lost, Lord, I pray for their salvation, that as we have read in the text, that they could become like Isaac rather than Ishmael. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help me today to communicate your truth with clarity. Father, I pray that you would uh, help me to be a vessel that would share truth, Lord, this morning. And I pray that through it all, Christ would be formed in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. I'm sure that many of you, especially those of you who are parents, can relate to when Paul says to when Paul says what is similar to our phrase, I just don't know what to do with you. Paul said that in verse number 20 where we concluded last week. Paul said in the King James Version it says, For I stand in doubt of you. And that's similar to our phrase when we say, I, I just don't know what to do with you. I believe Eric even mentioned that phrase in our Sunday school class this morning. Is, and he was referring to when you have children. One, his phrase was, you're going to say one day, what were you thinking? And I think Paul is in a similar place. He just cannot wrap his mind around why they have forsaken the truth, why they have walked away from Jesus Christ, 
And now they're turning back again to their legalism and to the aspects of the law and they're trusting in those things for their salvation. And I think it's critical to point out as I say that, and, and Paul will get into that as Galatians continues on, Paul is not minimizing living a holy life. Paul is not, Paul is not neglecting the fact that you and I as Christians have a certain uh, aspect of, of, our, of our conduct that needs to be upheld. There are expectations that you and I are to meet as God's children, as followers of Christ. But we never look to those things. We never look to our love for others. We never look to our tithe giving. We never look to those things and trust in them for our salvation. That's the error with these believers in Galatia. Not necessarily that they were trying to keep the law, because trying to live a holy life, trying to honor God in the way you carry out your life is a good thing. We should do that as His children. But we cannot trust those things for salvation. And that's the error of the Galatians. They were no longer looking to Christ and resting in Him. They were now saying, well, I'm circumcised, so I am saved. I am in a right standing with God. And, and that's, that's the error. John MacArthur explained uh, Paul's phrase in verse number 20 in this terminology. He says that that means I'm at my wit's end. And that's where Paul's at. He, he just don't exactly know how to help them, how to get them to stand and rest in the truth. So Paul has been, has been delivering truth throughout these verses, and now he is, in my mind, what he is saying is he's, he's going to say, well, think about it this way. And he's going to use what he defines as an allegory in verse number 24. He's changing, he's using a little different approach. He's changing his method. He's going to try another, another way to try to teach them the truth of who Jesus Christ is and that he is their only hope. And you just, to be a teacher of anything, to be successful, you, it's crucial to be able to change your method or your approach at times. If what you've been doing isn't working, then you need to try something another way. I, I was thinking about that and Paul doing that here in these verses. I was thinking about coaching and, and with DJ help me often, I find myself saying, think about it this way. And if I feel like we've taught a kid something and they still do it the wrong way or they still don't do it like what we're expecting them to do or what is good for for being a good football player, then I'm probably going to say, think about it this way, and I'll try to explain it a different way or, or show them in a different manner than I showed them before because what I did previously wasn't working. It wasn't getting the job done. Well, to me, that's what Paul is doing in these verses. He's saying, here, think about it this way. Let me, let me, let me try to explain it to you another way. And what Paul is going to do is now use an a instance, a narrative that happened in the Old Testament. And that's why he says in verse 21, tell me, says, you that desire to be under the law, do you, not, do you not hear the law? So he's taking their mind back to the law, and he's saying, you desire to be under the law, but he's going to go on to explain. Even the law explains, and even the law shows you that your hope is not in it. And he's going to use the story, as, it, as our text goes on, of Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, and Sarah, and Hagar. So the question that I want to approach the text with this morning is how... How can the law be used to help us understand our hope to be in Jesus Christ alone? You see, a lot of people, I think, look at the Old Testament as, and the New Testament as two separate, two separate books. Like the Old Testament teaches law, teaches salvation by works, and then it's like God changed His mind in the midst of the two books, and then 
realized that wasn't going to work, and then he, he, he sent Christ, and then the New Testament came to be about. But that's not the truth as you read the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord from the Old Testament to the New Testament points to one person, and one person alone for our hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's going to explain here. He takes us all the way back to the beginning, to Abraham, to Sarah, in the book of Genesis. And he's going to use them to explain how our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. If we trust in anything else but Him, Paul's going to show that we will, we will be excluded from the family of God. And so, look with me in these verses this morning as we learn how the as I defined the, or titled the message, if you will, as we learn a lesson from the law about our salvation. In verses 21 through 27, we learn that Ishmael represents the law. He says, for it is written in verse 22, this is, he uses 21 as an introduction to his kind of new approach, his, his, his tackling this matter a different way. He says it's written that Abraham had two sons. And of course, we need a little bit of knowledge of the Old Testament and if you feel like if you don't know who I'm speaking of when I speak of Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, and Hagar, and Sarah, then Paul's going to remind us of some of those things here in these verses. He says, the one by bondmaid, and that would be Hagar. The other by free woman, that was his wife, Sarah. says in verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, who was born to Hagar, was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Now all that's important and all that's significant. So if we go back to Genesis, and I believe it's in Genesis chapter number 16 where this birth that is referred to in verse 23, that he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh takes place. You remember, Paul's already referred to the promise given to Abraham, that he, when he had no children, he was given the promise that he would have a son. He was given the promise that not just a son, but he would have a seed that it would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore he was given a promise that he would have as many sons if you could look up and count the stars that's how many sons he would have he was promised that in him all the seeds of the earth would be blessed Abraham had those promises and if you remember this account in the Old Testament Sarah they they came to the point of thinking well maybe we need to do something about this promise they both were getting older they both were coming to an age where it seemed like having children was an absolute impossibility so Sarah got the bright idea that she would maybe there was something that she needed to do to help bring this promise to bow. And on that note, I will warn you, it's always a bad idea to try to take matters into your own hands rather than resting in the promises and in the care of God. But that's what she did. So she sent her handmaid, her, the, her bondwoman, as the text refers to her, as into Abraham. And her and Abraham, as... It's defined in the Bible, they come to know each other and she conceives and is going to have a son and his name is Ishmael. But that son was not by promise. That son was, as it's referred to in verse 23, was born after the flesh. There was, it was a faithless decision that was carried out when Abraham went in unto Hagar. Faithless. Absolutely not resting in the promises of God, not trusting God's promise it was all about human work, human effort, human decision. That was the basis for Ishmael's birth. And then he contrasts that by saying he of the free woman, which was when Isaac, when he was born, was by promise. And we'll revisit that when we get to verse 28. So then Paul defines in verse 24 why he's even bringing this up. He says, because these two things are an allegory. 
There's something deeper that we can learn from this account that took place back in Genesis. He's saying that these two individuals represent the two covenants. You can think of it as the Old Testament as we refer to it as, as the, or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, the one from Mount Sinai, which is the law, that's where God gave the law to Moses. And he defines the law or describes the law in the end of verse 24 as something that gendereth to bondage. Now I don't know exactly what your version might say. Gendereth is no longer a word we use, but what that means is, is the law gives birth to bondage. The law entraps people and the law ensnares people because you have to live by it. And when you don't live by it, when you fail the law, you are due its consequences. You are guilty and you are worthy of death. So you're trapped, you're ensnared by the law. You can't escape it. It's rules and reigns over your life. And then Paul defines plainly that is Hagar. So this bondwoman that went in to Abraham and had this son, again, remember, it's all of the flesh. It did not have faith in God. There was no faith in God when this child was born. There was no trust in God when this child was born. It was all of human effort and human works. And Paul says that child represents the old covenant, the law. It's based on effort. It's based on faithlessness. It's based on human work and human achievement. And he says again in verse 25, This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Now, when Paul wrote this, Jerusalem was literally in bondage to Rome. But also, he's referring to the fact that many in Jerusalem still live by the law. So in both senses, they are still in bondage like they were through the law that was given. But then Paul gives us a hopeful note in verse 26. He says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is, is free, which is the mother of us all. What that's referring to is the new Jerusalem. It's referred to in Revelation 21-2 that it's going to come down from heaven one day. In that city, we are free. And it is the mother of us all. It is written, he says, comparing that new Jerusalem he uses a text or a quote from Isaiah 54 and verse 1. And he says, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Again, speaking about the graciousness of God and fulfilling His promise and giving her who was childless children. So Ishmael represents the law. Everything that the law stands for, everything that the law represents is wrapped up in Ishmael. Ishmael helps us understand the nature of the law. But then he says, and, if you, if, and I've tried to meditate on this verse, verse number 28, where Isaac, we learn Isaac represents believers. And here in this verse, it's simple, just a few words. He says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And I, I say I meditated on that verse, and I feel like there's so much truth to pull out of that verse, but I don't exactly know how to put it into words to bring about the, 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 the fullness of it. That you and I are children of promise. Now you could read over that, and you could say, well, that sounds good, and pretty much carry on. But if you think about what that means in, in comparing you and I to Isaac as believers, this, and this represents the new covenant as he explained earlier 
in our verses. You see, Isaac was born to Sarah, who was literally in earthly sense was beyond able to have children. She, was, she no longer menstruated. She was in an earthly sense literally unable to have children. It was physically impossible to the human, to the, in the human sense. It was impossible to, for her to have children. That's why God hadn't sent her one up until this point. Because this child was going to be a child of promise where God was going to give them, gave Abraham a word and God would fulfill his word. You see, Isaac wasn't born by human effort. Isaac wasn't born by human decisions and by human achievement. Isaac was born because God said, I'm going to give you a son. And so here came Isaac. And our salvation and our standing in Jesus Christ is represented in the person of Isaac. You see, we are not justified in the sight of God because of our human achievement and our human effort in comparison to Ishmael, remembering how he represents the law. You and I today are represented in Isaac in that we are justified in the sight of God simply because God said, I will justify you when you put your faith in the Son of God. We are not who we are because of our good decisions in life. And we're not who we are in Jesus Christ because of the good, upstanding human beings that we have been. We are the fulfillment of God's promise. Our salvation and our standing in Jesus Christ is simply by promise. God said, I will justify you. Part of the promise to Abraham, as we have understood through studying Galatians, is that you can be justified by faith. You cannot be justified by keeping the law because you can't do it. You're justified because God simply kept His promise. As the ESV Study Bible explains, a promise is a word from God that will be fulfilled by God. It's the opposite of flesh. Just like Isaac had nothing to do with his being born into the world, his parents had nothing to do. It was the promise of God. You see, this verse should help us to just be in awe of God's graciousness in our life because it had nothing to do with me. and had nothing to do with you that you're saved today. It's the work of a gracious God in our life. It's been much better to us than we deserve. The ESV study Bible also said, in a way analogous to Isaac's miraculous birth, the Galatians have become God's children by an act of God's gracious, miraculous power, not by human effort. That's the story of our salvation as well. It's the same as a miraculous birth, by, per, performed by God's gracious, miraculous power, not by our human effort. Then our text concludes by reminding us in verses 29 through 31, however, whichever way you want to look at the truth, I think one is the positive side, one is the negative side, but Isaac was the heir of the father. So in other words, you want to be represented by Isaac and not Ishmael. Or on the flip side, I guess the negative side of that is Ishmael was cast out. It says in verse 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh, that's again referring to Ishmael, he was the one that's comparative to the law, he was the one that was born through human effort, human decision, he persecuted him that was born after the spirit. And Paul is saying the way that was, it's the same way now. What he's referring to is if, you go look in Genesis 21.9, it says this, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Whatever this son of Ishmael, whatever this son named Ishmael was doing, he was mocking, he was persecuting, as Paul defines it here in verse 29, the son that was born by promise. 
Paul is saying what you're experiencing now to these Galatians is similar. You're experiencing the persecution of those who trust in the flesh. One commentary said, Abraham celebrated the weaning of Isaac with a banquet, meaning Isaac had reached an age where he was no longer seen as, as dependent as he previously was, reached like a stage of adulthood. And on that occasion, Ishmael mocked Isaac, laughing derisively at the younger boy, since Ishmael was the elder son and assumed he would be heir to his father's estate. So you can imagine, if you think about it like that, Isaac was the firstborn, and in that culture, the firstborn was the one who typically got the the inheritance, who was the heir of the father. But this, this celebration that Abraham had was in recognizing the fact that Isaac was the heir, not Isaac. So you can imagine Isaac's discontent with his half-brother. He wouldn't have been a big fan of him. Well, that's a similar situation is happening here with the Galatians. They're experiencing the persecution of a jealous brother, so to speak. But then he says, but what says the scripture? And that's, you know, that's, as I read that question, I was thinking that's, what, that's always the heart of the matter. When you want to know where you should stand on an issue, when you want to know the answer to an issue, that's always, that's always our question. What says the scripture? It's not what says the preacher. It's not what says this person or that person. Our, our determining factor as believers is always what saith the scripture. So I love Paul's question. He says, what? Says the scripture, he says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. If you remember, again, the account of Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis, Abraham, there was discord that naturally occurred between Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And so Abraham, Sarah initially mentioned the idea, but God told Abraham that that was the correct thing to do, to send them out, because Ishmael was not the heir. Ishmael was not the son in which God was going to fulfill his promise through it was Isaac. So God told Abraham to send him out. And that's what said the scripture. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman, listen, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Ishmael was cast out. Ishmael was not recognized as part of the family of Abraham in that sense. He was not the heir. He was not the one that was going to receive the inheritance of his father. And in that sense, Paul says, well, that's why Paul said, do you not hear the law? Do you not understand what it's saying? You're, you're, you're putting confidence in it. But if you go and look at the law, even the law teaches you that it does not make you part of the family. Because Ishmael represents the law. And the law here is cast out. He's not, part, he's not the heir. He's not going to receive the inheritance. Again, the emphasis here, again, as it's been all throughout the book of Galatians, is the law, and for you and I, as we live in a day where the law is, is not the, what most people place their confidence in, but there are a lot of things that serve the same purpose as what the law served for the Galatians. There's other things that we put our confidence in. And all those things are insufficient. Our confidence for salvation has to rest in Jesus Christ. So then, he says in verse 31, Brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. As believers, we are not 
we are not cast out. As believers, we are of the free, and the, the son of the free woman, which is Isaac, received the promise. And that's, that's our salvation. Salvation is receiving the promise of God, putting your faith in Him, that He will justify you in Christ, because that's what He said He would do. Casting off all self-righteousness, all hope that I have read my Bible enough, all hope that I have prayed enough, all hope that I dress well enough, throwing all that to the side. Saying, God, you said that in your word that if I will trust Christ, then I will have everlasting life. We have to be careful how we look at the Old and the New Testament. As I mentioned, a lot of people look at them as two separate works where the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the law is, is taught as the means of, of salvation. But it's not the case. The Old Testament doesn't teach salvation by keeping the law. And then the New Testament showed that God kind of changed His plan and then sent Jesus. The Bible in its entirety, the Old and the New Testament, points us to one thing, or one man, I should say, for hope. And His name is Jesus Christ. The story of Abraham... Isaac and Ishmael proved the point. It's back in the very first book in our Old Testament. But even then, the son who represented human effort, human works, Ishmael, he was cast out. He was not an heir. It was a son that was by promise. True salvation is by promise. That God will grant us justification through what Christ did at Calvary. The takeaway for you and I today is we will not become part of the family of God by our efforts. Your own effort and your own works, as good as you think they might be, will get you cast out. Believe in God and trust in Him for His promise that justification is by faith. Brother Mark, if you will, I'm going to ask you if you'll come around and our musicians and, and prepare to lead us in a song. And if you will, congregation, will ask you to stand with me. And as they prepare, and Miss Tamara can begin to play as she prepares, if you need to respond to the word of the Lord this morning, I want to encourage you to do so. As I've said before, these altars are open. And whether it's at the conclusion of our time of preaching or throughout the rest of the service, so you always know the altars are open. If you ever need to come pray, please do so. And if the Lord has dealt with your heart and you feel the need to respond in this immediate hour, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. As Mark comes around and leads us, you obey the Lord and what he might have you to do. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.